For AZPM, I'm Tony Paniagua, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Mark McLemore is away this week. Coming up, a small plant with an attractive little yellow flower is causing major worries for invasive species scientists. It is called stinknet, and experts hate this imported weed. If it catches fire, it produces a smoke that's corrosive to the lining of your lungs. So even when it gets dried out, it's still a hazard to the environment. A Tucson photographer has been harvesting rainwater to create a lush desert oasis in her neighborhood. Meet Martha Retallick, who shares her story in a new book, City Nature. That simple need to narrow my focus turned out to be a game changer. It opened a world of opportunities to me. A German visitor at AZPM tells us he doesn't have to worry about out-of-pocket expenses for his health care or higher education. He also addresses the controversial topic of immigration in his native country. We are seeing a demographic change right now, and in order to maintain the system we have, we need more workers. I feel like it is a good idea to let people come and work if they want to do that. And have you ever heard of the Dali Disco? It's described as a country western diva dance party that celebrates Dali Parton, a queen of country and cultural icon. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Even though our Sonoran Desert can be a harsh environment for much of the year, the tough and resilient plants in this habitat can be very susceptible to invasive species. Now there's a recent arrival on the scene that is causing concern among many experts, including Tony Figueroa. He is the invasive plant manager for the Tucson Audubon Society. I started this position with the Tucson Audubon in December of 2019. And originally we were just focused on assisting federal partners, but quickly the city saw the uh, value that we had to offer and we grew our our local strike team starting in the summer of 2020. Uh, Primarily, we were focused on treating buffalo grass, fountain grass, um, doing salt cedar removals in the Santa Cruz, and also removal of African sumacs. Uh, Those are two of our highly invasive non-native trees, and then also uh, the invasive grasses. And now there's something that's particularly upsetting for people like yourself. It is called stinknet. It used to have a nicer name, if you will, globe chamomile. Tell us a little bit about the history of this plant right here in Southern Arizona. Yeah, so stinknet is a invasive weed originally from South Africa and it made it to Southern California in the 80s and then moved into the Phoenix area in the early 2000s. Uh, It first showed up in Tucson in 2015 as the result of uh, construction equipment that was stored near Prince and I-10, building the Ina overpass. So the construction equipment came down from Phoenix, where the infestation is widespread. And unfortunately, the equipment isn't cleaned. They brought it down here, and they spread the invasive seeds. And that's been the, the... spreading point in the Tucson area since 2015. 
This is radio, so we're not seeing this plant, but obviously we'll have links on our website with photographs. But how would you basically just describe it to somebody who's not seeing a picture of it? Yeah, so the best way to uh, recognize it is it has yellow balls, like a little bit smaller than a marble, probably close to the size of a pea. And it is a pure sphere. There's no petals at the base of it. It is just a pure globe. So that was why it had its previous name with globe in it. Uh, another common trait of it is it really stinks. So when you are removing this plant, you start to smell it. It is pungent. I removed a bunch of plants on Monday earlier this week. And on Friday, when I went to go pick up my gloves, I could smell them. And it was stink net all over the, my gloves, just that stench. Bright yellow, attractive flower, I guess you could say. Yes, it, it is very attractive. And unfortunately, that is one of the reasons why it spread so much in the Phoenix area was people saw it and they were sharing it with friends. Look at this pretty wildflower. And it was originally selling, you were telling me, at even places like farmer's markets and so on? Yeah, people were selling it at farmer's markets because it was under the uh, name Globe Chamomile, which is far too attractive to people and is a name that we're trying to avoid using because people hear that and they think it's positive. So Stinknet is a much stinkier, uh, less attractive name. What does the plant do that is considered toxic or noxious or, or dangerous in this environment? The plant has the ability to spread rapidly and the pollen that produces that is produced from the flowers is allergenic. And we've had a lot of reports of people with mysterious headaches and irritation. Uh, one of the people that was living near the largest infestation that we have in the Tucson area, he was living on the eastern side of this one acre infestation. The wind was blowing straight towards his house for the entire month. And when I was talking to him about some of the health concerns, I talked to him about headaches. And he said, you know what? I've been having this weird headache for the last month and I had no idea what was causing it. And I'm usually not a very irritable person, but for the last month, I, I couldn't explain it. And it's likely that he was experiencing some of the symptoms of being exposed to this, this allergen and the pollen. And Tony, what does this plant mean for the Sonoran Desert if left unchecked? Uh, yes, that's a great question. Uh, one of the big concerns about this plant is its ability to invade undisturbed soils. So when we look at our creosote uh, deserts, where you have that empty bare space that usually exists between each plant, it gets completely infilled with this. And the plant can be shin height, knee height, depending on the, the moisture in the area. But then as it dries out, that biomass stays on the landscape and the oils that are in this plant stay in there. And if it catches fire, it produces a smoke that's corrosive to the lining of your lungs. So even when it gets dried out, it's still a hazard to the environment. It's just bad stuff. Tony, you had sent me some pictures of the stink net ahead of this interview. I happened to be in Douglas, Arizona, going into a pharmacy, and I saw what I thought was a very attractive little yellow plant. 
I took a couple of pictures of it and I just showed it to you a few minutes ago and you've determined that it is in fact StinkNet. What does this mean that this is now growing as far southeast as Douglas, Arizona? Well, uh, other than it just being a major disappointment, uh, it's exciting that someone who's only known the plant for two days is able to site ID this plant first thing. So right now is the time to get out and look around your house, look around your neighborhood, see if you spot this plant. We have a publicly available mapping tool called stinknet.org. And if you see it or you think you see it, take a picture of it, record where it's at, and then me or one of my crew members can look at that picture and validate it if it's, if it's correct. And uh, then we can get it removed. But if you do see it, please just remove it. And throw it in the garbage? Throw it in the garbage. Uh, this plant produces tons of tiny little like sawdust fine seeds. And they're all just about to change from flower to seed at this time of the year. So taking that extra caution to, you know, be gentle, remove it, put it in a trash bag, get rid of it. If you do that, you save me, you, all the taxpayers, a lot of time and money to try and stop it in the future. Native and drought-tolerant non-invasive species can provide many benefits to local landscapes, and Tucson resident Martha Retallick is quite familiar with various examples. Although Retallick is originally from the lush state of Pennsylvania, she has embraced the Sonoran Desert, and it has rewarded her with opportunities for personal and artistic growth. Retallick is a writer, photographer, and gardener who just wrote a book about her urban property. This book started out five years ago. In the summer of 2018, I decided to upgrade my camera system. And this new camera system took a bit of doing to learn. And since it's summer, it was too hot to go out in public. And you know how it is in public. It's like, come on, Martha, would you hurry up and just get the photo? And I figured that my trees and my flowers would be a lot more patient with me than, you know, people. So out to the backyard I went and I started photographing things. And I kept on going and kept on going. And this thing took on a life of its own and it's now a book. City Nature, Tales of Ornery Plants, Opinionated Birds, Gardening Triumphs and Tragedies, and Capturing It All Through a Lens. So it's one of those things that started out very innocently as a self-assignment project to learn how to do something, and then it turned into a full-fledged book with how to do water harvesting, why to do water harvesting, look at all these cool birds in the yard, and recipes. And lots of vivid images that I came across because you really get some intricate details. You're not about getting medium shots or wide shots, at least in many of these photographs, right? I like detail. And that was one of the, it was, that was a real discovery in the course of this project because before I did a lot of event photography, which tends to be wide angle or you're zooming in on somebody with telephoto you're really not doing that much close-up. Now, in my yard, it's a small space. You can only do so much panoramic. So then I decided, well, why not look at the details of that petal on that flower? We talked about details, and you 
made it a point to zoom in on things and get some closer shots. Can you read that part for us, please? Narrowing my focus. That simple need to narrow my focus turned out to be a game changer. It opened a world of opportunities to me. There were flower buds, flower blossoms, bees pollinating those flower blossoms, birds seeking mates, nest building, hatching, learning to fly, and on and on it goes. You also mentioned your past and perhaps an influence to who you never met. I am named for my great-grandmother, Martha. And great-grandmother Martha was a victory gardener in upstate New York, Buffalo, New York. And according to my mother, she fed eight people from that garden. And mom told me that those people depended on great-grandmother Martha's produce. Martha, this book is pretty large. It looks like a coffee table book with amazing photography. What do you hope people take away from this project? I'm dealing with a challenging subject. This is a book about water harvesting that I've very cleverly disguised as a coffee table book because in the Southwest, we're dealing with water shortage. That's a frightening topic. And what happens when you get fearful is the critical thinking part of your mind closes down. And when that closes down, so does your department of problem solving. So let's turn the psychology around a little bit. Let's give people hope. Let's give them uplift so then they can start thinking about, oh, well, Martha's doing this over at her yard and it's not that big. Hmm, what could I do at my place? I would say, you know, of course, read the book, think about what you want to do, and then start trying things out. The landscape I have today is certainly not the one I started working on back in the fall of 2004. It's gone through a lot of changes, and quite frankly, a lot of the things I did on my own did not work. I needed help. And you've learned along the way. Yes, I certainly have. What is next on your agenda? What's next on the agenda is... I'm still taking pictures of the yard. I was out there this morning. I was looking at, there's actually a picture of it in this book. The Hesperallo plant set up a spike again. And I just had a big photo shoot over the weekend. And I thought, I can't look at a camera for a while. And then I saw that spike in the early morning light. And I thought, okay, which camera? What settings? Let's get out there. And I was pretty happy with those photos, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them, but I'm still shooting photos in the yard. I show them in my monthly newsletter, and I may well do something else with them as well. It seems like this brings you unexplainable satisfaction. It's such, it was such a delight to get out there early in the morning, and I thought, you know what? Get out there now. The wind's not coming up yet. The sunlight on that plant is just perfect. Go. So it gives me something to be constantly interested in without leaving home. With more than 80 million people and the largest economy in Europe, Germany is a powerhouse on the world stage. 
Recently, AZPM hosted two German university students for a few days, and we thought it would be a good idea to talk to them about their country and their impressions of the United States. Today, you'll hear from 23-year-old Abel Fakade. His parents moved from Ethiopia to the former East Germany, or DDR, before reunification more than 30 years ago. Abel Fakade, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I just have to say that here in the States, most people have been calling you Abel, but Abel is the right pronunciation? The Ethiopian pronunciation would be Abel. In Germany, we say Abel, and in the U.S., it's mostly Abel. I don't mind. <laughs> you get to choose whatever you want to say. All right. Thank you so much. Please tell us a little bit about the RIAS Commission that brought you here to the United States. When did you hear about this program, and why did you decide to apply? Well, as Germany used to be divided in, in, in different sectors, there was this uh, radio in the American sector, uh, which is in short, RIAS. And this obviously exists, it doesn't exist anymore, but we still do have the RIAS Commission who is trying to promote the German-American um, relationship. And part of that is the RIAS fellowship, uh, fellowship Program, where 15 students get the chance to go to the U.S., to go to New York, um, and then go to the Midwest or South and the West of the U.S. to uh, call it the so-called College Week, the College Station. And that's what brought me here to uh, Arizona, to the U of A. How long of a program has it been for you, or will it be by the time that it's finished? It's a three-week program. We'll spend around uh, 10 days in uh, New York and then uh, almost two weeks in the, in the respective uh, Station Week. And this is not the first time that you have been to the United States, right? No, it's not. I actually have family here in the U.S. in uh, Minneapolis and Atlanta, and I got to get the chance to see them a couple years ago. But this time around, it has been very different because I got to see many more parts of the U.S. and got just to got more impressions even. Yeah. What have been some of your impressions? Let's begin with New York City. What have you thought so far? Well, New York City is a very busy and vivid city, you know, as they say, a city that never sleeps. And uh, that's what I what I saw, too. We had a very tight schedule. We talked to uh, different media outlets, NBC, ABC, Bloomberg. We even talked to uh, Governor Murphy in New Jersey. Um, but by the time I left New York, I actually felt like a local. I feel like it's a very welcoming city. And it's very comforting, the, f the fact that there are so many people and you're just one out of millions. It makes you feel uh, welcome. Abel, and you have an interesting background yourself. So obviously you are very fluent in German. You were born in Germany. It is your country, but your parents were not originally from Germany. Can you tell us a little bit about that connection? Uh, before my time, my parents migrated from Ethiopia to um, Germany, um, my dad came to the GDR, so that has been in the, in the 80s, to, as a student, actually, and uh, stayed there. And I got two siblings um, who live in Germany as well. I was born and raised in Leipzig, and Leipzig is actually a very beautiful city. It's uh, culturally uh, diverse, and it's very open and welcome to, 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 to many cultures and people, um, which is very interesting because uh, due to the fact that Leipzig is located in the f eastern Germany, Germany or the former GDR part of Germany, which is m mostly considered as rather conservative. And um, Leipzig has a very open and, and very, um, yeah, uh, very good reputation. So I really enjoy living there. Here in the United States, immigration has been a long, hot controversial topic for many decades and of course uh, same some of the very similar things are happening in Germany as well there's a recent movement uh, in Germany to uh, try to 
make it easier for more migrants to come in and to provide citizenship to them. What have you heard about these discussions living in Germany? Well, it, that has been an ongoing discussion. Before that idea, the, the current problem was or still is that we have a shortage of skilled workers in Germany. Um, there is this thing, a so-called thing called over-academization. So everybody wants to go to college, especially since tuition is free, which is a good thing. But then again, we do need more skilled workers. Um, uh, and I feel like this is a good idea. It's overdue because we are seeing a demographic change right now. And in order to maintain the system we have, we need more workers. And I feel like it is a good idea to, you know, let people come and work if they want to do that. Do you think this will pass? Uh, one of the efforts is to bring in more qualified workers that are not just saying let's open the doors to everybody and also to provide citizenship. Do you think it's going to gain support among the general German population? Definitely, because we've had um, incidents in the past where we had guest workers in Germany that weren't re really integrated into the society. So giving people the opportunity and their perspective to um, be a German citizen one day uh, will change that, in my opinion. And especially with the current administration we have in Germany, I feel like this proposal is a very realistic. Yeah. I bet you, uh, prior to this interview, I know that you have a bachelor's degree. Are you also interested in a master's degree, or are you looking for a job right now? Um, so I'm planning to enroll into a master's degree in the near future um, in the field of um, communications management. And what do you think about the fact that uh, in the United States so many people struggle to pay for their education? And can you tell us the difference between Germany? What was your experience? So as I just told you, I'm, I'm planning on enrolling to the master's degree. And I was thinking about, do I want to start right away? Which master's do I want to pursue? But I never had to think of how am I going to finance the tuition, right? Um, so maybe my cost of living, but not the tuition, because it is free in Germany. And I'm very grateful for that. Sometimes it's easy to forget that in Germany. And coming here, I see how people are struggling to pay off their, uh, their student loan or struggling finding a scholarship that will pay for their tuition, um, which is very um, weird to me as a German because we take that for granted. We also visited Nogales, Mexico, where many people from the U.S. cross the border so they can get more affordable dental care. And I asked you, hey, what do you think about this? Is this a concern for Germans uh, when it comes to their dental care or their health care? What is your response? I probably said... This is definitely covered by my health insurance, and we never have to worry about that. I never in my life had to worry about my health insurance. When I moved out of home and started studying, I had to switch out of the family insurance. But these were just minor complications. And as a student, I'll pay maybe 100 euro per month, and my par parents covered that, thankfully. And that's it. As soon as you get a job, everything will be uh, done in the background and you'll have your health care. Those are some of the challenges for people who live in this country. What are some of the benefits uh, that you've seen? Obviously, the United States is a very large country. Is there anything that stands out as far as like, wow, this is really nice or this is really cool or very different from what I'm used to? Well, especially with having explored many parts of the country, it's just, uh, it's, it's beautiful to see the diversity in the country, not just uh, by the ethnicity, but also by the landscape, um, by the cultures, cultures, food. And um, we didn't know that. I didn't know that, uh, or not to that extent, because there is this stereotypical way of viewing America. And then you get here and you see Atlanta and you see New York and you see um, Arizona. And there are so many different parts and different cultures. 
And I enjoy that diversity. And I also enjoy how nice people are. Um, this is not the German way of uh, of going through going through life. It's just being nice, having a smile on your face, saying, hi, how are you? And I enjoy that. You also mentioned that palm trees are usually associated with vacation, and yet we have a whole bunch of palm trees here in the city of Tucson. That was the first thing I thought when I g- came to campus of UFA. Uh, I thought, wow, there, there are palm trees on campus. This is surreal. And what about the saguaros? What did you think about seeing saguaros? They're beautiful. That was the first time in my life that I that I saw a cactus um, uh, in in wildlife, so to speak. So um, the weather in general in Arizona is amazing, um, especially f- as a German, is, since it's very cloudy most of the time. But um, even compared to other places in the U.S. Uh, I've been to, um, it's just beautiful here. I love the weather and the landscape. Okay, moving forward, when you return to Germany, what do you think you'll remember most about this trip? Um, probably the people that I got to know and um, the things I've learned. I've, it's, it has been a great mix of just new experiences, but also education. Um, I've been visiting classes at, at UFA, and it was interesting to see the American way of a college, of college life that we usually just see depicted in movies. So... Um, but also in New York, and there are also fellow students I got to know. So I'm very grateful this, for this opportunity, and I will go home with ma- many unforgettable memories. Okay, Abel or Abel, Fekade, thank you very much. Dankeschön. Ah, Dankeschön. Vielen Dank. Thank you. There is a traveling party that is currently touring the U.S. that is paying tribute to the uplifting spirit of Dolly Parton. When the party rolled into downtown Tucson a few weeks ago, Assistant producer Leah Nalani Britton was there. Here is her audio postcard. It was a lively night at Club Congress, as a diverse crowd flocked to the Dolly Disco in celebration of the Queen of Country. Attendees were dressed in both rhinestones and cowboy hats, because this country and western diva party had something for everyone. We saw it online, and it's touring the country. And we had to come here to get the best of both worlds, country and disco. (laughs) Dolly is the epitome of kindness and love and beauty to women. Like she broke the barrier. She's like, I'm gonna put my hair on, I'm gonna put my makeup on, I'm gonna have my nails, I'm gonna be a woman, and I don't care what anybody thinks. That's Dolly. Dolly Parton means to me woman empowerment. She figured out how to be successful despite all barriers that she encountered and embrace them all, figure out how to conquer them all and come out on top. She persists in her ability to come to the masses with her talent that she was born with. Dolly is a survivor. I wish you Arizona Spotlight, I'm Leah Britton. Thank you for listening. Arizona Spotlight originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. Assistant producer is Leah Nalani Britton. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. And I'm producer and host this week, Tony Paniagua.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.